Hello and welcome to Fourth Estate, a show about journalism. We're coming to you from Tiruvasiyar in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Euro Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network, and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. I'm Anthony Dockrell. In our first show for 2023, we are looking at a subject that has been on many people's minds, especially if you work in a vocation that uses words like journalism. That subject is AI, and in particular, ChatGPT. As ChatGPT has become more available for people to try, the results have caused alarm bells all over the world. If ChatGPT can write long-form copy in multiple styles and at a standard many humans would struggle to achieve, are journalists about to go the way of the blacksmith? Or are we about to embark on a new era where journalists are set free from some of the more mundane and time-consuming parts of their job? To discuss this and more, we are joined by two humans well qualified to take us through what is shaping to be the biggest revolution since the personal computer or the invention of the internet. Dr. Sasha Moratoris is a senior lecturer at UTS and in a previous life was a feature writer for the Sydney Morning Herald. Sasha is the author of Net Privacy, How We Can Be Free in an Age of Surveillance. And Charlie Lewis is the Tips and Murmur editor at Crikey. He also presents Spin Cycle on Triple R in Melbourne. Dr. Sasha Malatoris and Charlie Lewis, welcome to Fourth Estate. Thank you for having us. Well, look, we've all seen the demonstrations, and I'm guessing you both have had time now to try out ChatGPT for yourself. Are we on the cusp of a revolution? Oh, gee, I don't know. That's that's kind of an impossible question, isn't it? I think um, obviously there's a lot going on here. There's a lot that's substantial that's going on. And then meanwhile, there's a lot that's just hype that's going on. So it's really hard to pull those two apart. Um, you, you know, we've had some really interesting big stuff, particularly with chat GPT late last year, you know, building on GPT-3 in 2020, I think it was. So th- this is a huge leap forward. Microsoft has made its, you know, many billion dollar investment is it a revolution? I don't know. Time will tell, but it certainly it feels like a bit of a moment, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, Charlie, what do, what do you think? Well, I suppose, I mean, to the extent that, that there's a, a revolutionary element to this, it is one that's probably been ongoing for, for a bit of, for a while. Um, we've had, obviously, a lot of um, uh, huge leap forwards in, a, in artificial intelligence over the last year, not just in areas like ChatGBT and, and, and text-based, but obviously across areas like uh, surveillance. I mean, you can go back to 1996 and have a computer beating a grandmaster at chess. So, I mean, to some extent, you know, this is a process that is sort of quite a long way into its um, – into it's quite a long way along the line. Um I think, you know, obviously, in terms of the concerns that, that we'll go get into about something like ChatGPT, perhaps, as Sasha said, it's almost impossible to say how soon this, whether there'll be any kind of major cliff moment where it's an obvious before and after moment coming. Yeah, and look, I'm interested to see what you both felt uh, about this. Like, uh, I had a, a very strong reaction when I started fiddling around with ChatGPT. It was not just scary in its ability but it was also humbling as, you know, it shows what we think, something that makes us special. A lot of what we think makes us special is actually just mechanical assemblage and reducible to algorithms. Have humans just been taken down a peg? Mm. (laughs) Very true. Uh, Look, I had something of a similar reaction. I didn't, I haven't spent too much time on it and I don't want to help train the algorithm too much. So, um, you know, I have my concerns 
with it for a number of reasons that I'm sure we'll get into. But um, yeah, I was actually strangely impressed with the quality of the, the content it produced. And it's not making anything, right? I mean, it's just it's just not copying and pasting, but it's just like scanning the whole internet and regurgitating bits. Um, so with that in mind, yeah, I, I was pretty impressed. So I typed in a couple of exam questions that I'd set in the second semester for some law exam. Um, and the responses were surprisingly good. They're about, you know, the role of, of a particular type of ethics, virtue ethics, the lawyers, um, and how does that sit with um, their professional codes of conduct? So basically, how do ethical theories align, go with, and complement um, what they have to do professionally under their codes of conduct? Yeah, and the answers were, were surprising. What marks did you give it? <laughs> yeah, well, look, to be honest, I, um, I would have given it those answers good marks. You know, and, and I, I have to say, like, very good marks. And, I, and the reason, I think, is is because there is good stuff on the internet about that, about that sort of general question, right? So chat GPT uses data um, collected up to about, what, mid-2021. Um, the question that I just told you about is a very general question. It's been well answered online. Uh, I imagine there's a bit of a consensus online. Well, there seems to be. Um, and the short answer is, yes, lawyers do need to supplement their professional codes of conduct with ethical theory, including virtue ethics. Um, that to me is a good answer. You know, is it the only right answer? Perhaps not, but it's a very good answer, a sound answer. Um, and Chat GPT just articulated in a way that was, you know, about 300 words. Um, it was very logical. It kind of set out the key issues. It gave a definition of virtue, a definition of professional codes of conduct. So just what you kind of teach a student to do. Um, so yeah, it was definitely quite impressive. Mm, okay, well, let, let's jump into the big one. Will artificial intelligence like ChatGPT replace human journalists? You know, as editors turn to the technology for content creation and curation in the media industry. Um, Charlie, you can jump in first on this one. I mean, yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I think you know, in in the in the setup as I understand it now, I mean, I don't think so, or at least not not. 100%, not on mass, um, because it does, as 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 we sort of like, it doesn't it doesn't know anything. It has no expertise as such. It just scans the internet and collates that into um, into uh, an article or an argument. Um, and I do think, I mean, it's interesting. A lot of the, I was interested to hear, Sasha, that you thought that the the, the quality of writing was was really good because the stuff I've seen, it's been passable, but I, I haven't seen much that's really, you know, I think uh, Mumbrella did an experiment where they uh, tried to get it to mimic various kind of high profile Australian journalists like Virginia Trioli and, and Alan Jones and people like that. And I, I, I wasn't actually that impressed with, like, say, its force of language, with its ability to to forcefully and memorably kind of put forward an argument. I do, I, I do agree that it definitely was able to put arguments together in a sort of clear and logical sense. And I suppose that in some ways is still just as much an attack on what journalists are supposed to be able to do. Um, but in terms of, uh, yeah, but, but going forward, you, you have to say that, of, of course, as it gets more and more sophisticated, and of course, it's not just uh, chat GPT, it's not just that. It's obviously, you know, um, Google Search and uh, Microsoft Bing are both putting together AI uh, chatbots for their search engines to help kind of summarize and uh, deliver kind of summar summaries of the information that you're searching for. So that's going to be another sort of filter between the human being and, and the information that they get. So it does. it is very worrying in that regard. In response to, yeah, I don't, I don't think it, it will be good 
and what I've seen isn't good in terms of um, you know writing the style of of David Marr or whoever you know we're talking about. Um, but you know that sort of clear logical writing that was that was what I thought was quite impressive. Um, will it replace journalists? Um, certainly not in the short term. Um, and you know we've we've come across a number of examples of inaccuracies. You know, and even I found inaccuracies. Um, there are problems with the content it produces if we're measuring by accuracy, right? And and we know that even from Google's own promo materials. Um, so you know that that's an issue for journalists. Um, and yet we know that there are companies that are already uh, using it and have committed to using. GPT as well as other AI um, to produce content in the short term. I think the brag here in Australia was one of the first to come out to say that, and some other companies have, have made similar comments um, that they will be exploring it, you know, looking into it. So what, what exactly that means, I'm not sure, and what sort of um, how much content they're going to allow. Obviously, there are certain journalistic skills that that chat that an AI cannot um, replicate. I mean, it can't show up where it's not wanted and ask difficult questions. It, it, it's a, um, you know, uh, it can't uh, make moral judgments in the same way um, as mm. a human being can. And I think, and that's, that is important, but that's only important if you really give, if you really care about a kind of a certain quality of journalism, a certain human quality of journalism. If you're only worried about content, then it can absolutely replace your workforce. This technology is only going to get better. Uh, in the case of ChatGPT, there's a, a new version coming out soon. Uh, and, you know, it's already astoundingly good in, in limited ways. But let's assume that it does get better. You know, humans are expensive. We get sick. We take holidays. We don't answer work emails when we're sleeping. We also want to get paid more every year. If both of you were editors trying to cut costs, wouldn't you reach out to this technology? Depends how kind of mercenary I am, right? <laughs> how much I um, value people. Um, look, Charlie was raising this point about um, you know, all, all the things that journalists do, and it's not just the truth, but there are ethical judgments wrapped up in there. Um, to me, what's important, you know, he, I work with the Centre for Media Transition and, and, you know, we're involved with, say, the News Media Bargaining Code and various aspects of, of journalism and regulation about journalism. And so we butt up against this issue of what is journalism all the time and what makes it valuable, right? And, and so to me, what makes journalism valuable is, well, not all journalism is valuable, right? What makes journalism valuable is the stuff about it that's in the public interest. So public interest journalism, quality journalism, right? And what makes it quality? It's the fact that um, people are taking into account ethics and they're, they're making decisions um, in the pursuit of accuracy and, and fairness and balance, all these traditional journalistic qualities. Now, AI can't do that. AI has no idea about um, the concept of, of objectivity, which admittedly, is a really contested concept, right? There's a really healthy, I think, debate going on in journalism about what does objectivity mean? Do we still value it? Should we still pursue it? What role does advocacy journalism have, right? These are really important questions about what the role of a journalist is and should be. Where does AI come into that? It doesn't. Um, it just regurgitates content. It crawls the, the net and regurgitates what's already out there. So I guess... To use AI like this um, in journalism can work, from my point of view, but it needs to to work um, with significant human oversight, you know, and, and with people and with editors. So to, to your question about, you know, 
if I were an editor, would I just employ AI? Well, well no, um, because I, I do think fundamentally there's something that people do and can do and make ethical decisions. But I might employ it in a certain way um, to supplement what happens in the newsroom. If I think it's good enough, you know, perhaps it can do certain types of preliminary reports, you know, whether that's just financial figures or um, or weather or whatever it is that complements what humans do. And then what, what human journalists do will hopefully be the more sophisticated analysis and um, uh, certainly comment pieces and, and all sorts of other journalism, feature writing, you know, I, um, who doesn't love a beautifully well-crafted feature? Um, so, yeah, that, that that would be my position as an editor. Charlie? Oh, I, I think I just completely agree with that, Sasha, on that, is that, it, is that to the extent that it's useful as a, as a uh, yes, as a research tool, then and then that could potentially be uh, useful for a newsroom. But, but it does have to be done with a huge amount of of, of human oversight and also um, I, I'm equally uh, enamored with and I think it's a dying art anyway which is really lovely idiosyncratic human um, prose focused feature writing it's already a bit of a dying art particularly in Australia and um, AI is in no position to kind of to take over that yeah well, so lo- it looks like we've got a consensus here that that some jobs are definitely in trouble like if you're doing cut and paste journalism at the Daily Mail or producing listicles at BuzzFeed, you're probably not in a safe position. But quality journalism, investigative journalism, uh, sounds like it's actually quite secure. So in that setting, is AI actually a useful tool rather than a threat? I would hope so. Yeah, I'd hope so. It's going to take a few years to play out. But yeah, hopefully it can be a, um, a, a useful tool for journalism, um, you know, in, in the way that various aspects of technology have already become, um, you know, the, the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists um, has an office here at UTS in the Law Faculty, and they have done such amazing work, you know, with the Panama Papers and with all their other investigations. And that was all only possible because of digital technology and all the connections they could make with um, journalists all around the world. You know, so something like the Panama Papers, uh, I think it was 70 countries, you know, 100 and something journalists. Uh, in all these newsrooms collaborating over a year or more and working with this massive trove of documents that was leaked from the law firm in Panama. Um, you know, and that is all made possible by tech. That couldn't have happened in the old days. It was digital tech and communications that made that possible. In the same way, I think, you know, AI now will probably open up new doors for some types of journalism, um, perhaps maybe even ones we can't really foresee. But yeah, I do come back to that point that I think it's um, you know you, you said you said this yourself, Anthony. You used, you put it well when you said um, that if we're talking about quality or investigative journalism, then seem like ChatGPT is <laughs> the uh, the person, so to speak, to do it. But then if we're talking about you know maybe more mundane tasks, um, you know if we're talking about rip-off journalism. That's not something that I want to see promoted anyway. Um, but yeah, that could be duplicated by AI. Hmm. And I think I mean that that does get to a little bit the um, uh, uh, the, the, the fact that there is more than one threat to quality journalism uh, in in the kind of all over the world now. Um, it's it's not. Um, I mean, for, we, we mentioned BuzzFeed. Um, they for quite a while did do quite very good political journalism and then of course that mm. all uh, financial considerations kind of close out that wasn't that wasn't AI that ever was going to threaten that kind of journalism 
I mean, one of the interesting things I read about this is that, you know, when the Industrial Revolution came along, it was difficult jobs that got replaced. So, you know, heavy jobs, technology came in and made and took those jobs away. Here we are looking at something that's going to take away the the, the lower end, the lower skill jobs. We're talking about the the you know the the less experience and less important part of journalism is under threat. But you know those you know everyone has to start somewhere. Be many journalists who've started at Buzzfeed, as we know, who have now have gone on to amazing things. It does seem that there's a there even if even if investigative journalism, high quality journalists are safe. It does seem to be baking in a problem for the industry. Yeah, well, hopefully that that doesn't come to pass the way you describe it. Hopefully there are always the jobs that are the jobs that that journalists need to do in their first years in the room. You know, those kind of uh, roles where you cut your teeth, you write a news story of four hundred words um, that teaches you how to do it. And I don't know, maybe maybe the AI can play a role in that training as well. You know, maybe the those early years will be partly AI working together with young journalists. You know, there might be some sort of role for AI for training purposes. I don't know. Hmm. Now, look, one, one of the things about journalism uh, that people don't really understand is that the copy comes last. You know, you get a lead, you make editorial judgments, you search, you search out the story, you do a lot of hard work, you get your facts, you check your facts, you verify your sources, then you write your copy. And the facts is a, a really important part of journalism. ChatGPT, uh, like all AI chatbots, has been shown to have a, a pretty checkered record when it comes to facts. You know, it's normally yeah. it's normally factual, mm. but at the same time, it's been shown quite often to make stuff up. In the in the AI field, it's called a, a hallucination, where the bot just fills a gap in with something it, it it's just sourced from somewhere else. Sasha, how worried should we be about the accuracy of these chatbots and their tendency to hallucinate? Yeah, it's, it's really concerning. You know, accuracy. Is you know is is just absolutely one of your chief imperatives as a journalist. You know you, you need to be accurate, right? You and, and if you're not, then what are you doing? You know you you have to be accurate. You don't want to deceive your audience. You don't want to um, uh, you want to be truthful with them, right? Um, so it is concerning that AI, which just trolls the web and then will spit out what the web has on it will necessarily give us a lot that is not true. And with it, it won't signal what's true and what isn't. It's just all mixed together. And this, this word hallucination that you use describes when it produces something that is coherent and plausible and if you happen to know and look a bit deeper, it turns out to be totally untrue. Um, so this is, yeah, look, it, it's, it's really concerning. The, one of my favourite journalists, when I used to work at the Sydney Morning Herald, some time ago, I spent a little bit of time in um, reporting state politics, and there was uh, the chief of the the bureau at the time. I'd only been at the paper for a few months, so I was really sort of a sponge and just absorbing how everyone was working. And he um he, he was a really good journalist, and we'll always get really good stories. And just watching him work, he would spend all day just you know sort of going around talking to people, listening, thinking, sitting in to um, the parliamentary sessions. He would write the story really quickly. Apparently there were quite a few mistakes in it, you know, grammatical mistakes and that sort of thing, and, and the subs would have to work some of the paragraphs around. But he just waited until the last possible minute, you know, pissing off a lot of the subs and others. <laughs> but he would get a really good story because he he got everything, you know, he could see the big picture. Um, and so that's a completely different way. To me, that was excellent journalism. 
you know, like he got the grammar wrong sometimes, but he got the big <laughs> picture right. And then there were checks and balances to fix up the grammar and, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, whereas the AI is working, it has a completely different methodology. It just, it, it looks at what's out there and then it kind of draws on that to make a coherent slab of text. Um, yeah, you, I think. You can see the difference, right, Charlie? Yes, absolutely. I think you can you can always tell the difference. And I think also it goes sort of a, a kind of a tangent from that is also a kind of a process like, like, like this kind of accelerates another very bad trend in journalism, which is the kind of not the death, but the kind of eroding of expertise and beats and areas that people have some personal expertise on that they reported on for a long time. Um, obviously, as, as we sort of said before, uh, an AI doesn't know anything. It doesn't remember things happening. It doesn't mm. have context in that same way. It doesn't assess those things based on that context and that knowledge it already has it, it it just trawls and spits out what appears to be on the face of it a a coherent and, and plausible answer on that point one of the most interesting things i read um, was from david chalmers who's an australian philosopher and he's a philosopher of mind so you know he spends his days thinking about consciousness and, and these things and he um he wrote in 2020 when gpt3 came out he said look does this thing have consciousness well, you know, I could say, I could possibly answer yes. Does it have intelligence? I could possibly answer yes. But it doesn't have understanding, you know. So that that's where it still is. That That is the kind of key difference at this stage. There is no understanding on, there is understanding on no level. But it fakes understanding at a level that is astounding at the same time. <laughs> While you're talking about expertise, it actually makes a mockery of expertise because like, like it's you've got it writing an answer to a legal question uh, it can write uh, about last night's episode of Married at First Sight. It can write some Java code, and you can get it to write a, a movie script and anything in between. Uh, expertise becomes almost uh, a, a nonsense. Well, yes and no, because obviously it's still re- it's still relying on information that has been put into the into the public domain often by hopefully experts obviously it's not just consulting the experts is it so that's the that's the real issue with it but it does that doesn't make and that makes it i suppose in, in a way that kind of reinforces why the expertise is so important because that's a big part of assessing the credibility and the the usefulness of the information that you're you're interrogating um Sorry, I've, I've lost no, my train. Look, that's a, that's a very important point, and it, it is something that we should dwell on. That that these these bots are relying on human input and human and uh, generation of facts and 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 material, um, and this is where things can get very murky. That if humans stop producing as much of this stuff and the web becomes largely uh, produced by AI, where are we? I, I mean, I'm going into a, obviously a philosophical area where I'm guessing no one has an answer, but these are very important questions. Like humans are still very yeah. much part of this whole equation. And I guess we're debating right, about where we, where, where do, do we stay in that equation or do we, we take a step back? Absolutely. Absolutely. If we just rely on this AI from this point forward, then kind of, you know, we've, that's, we've got the full stop on where we go as a civilization and as a people, right? <laughs> yeah. because it's all, the AI is just looking at what's there on the web already. And then just, you want to have new research and new, um, new journalism, you know, as the topic of today. Um, yeah. We need people like Kate McClymont and all the other wonderful investigative journalists and all the other, the great feature writers that we have to, to do something new, you know, to make us think in fresh ways to, um, reveal something that we didn't know before you know that that's that's a powerful thing that journalists um among some other people can do 
Uh, and, and yeah, it's not going to happen from the AI. When you were saying before about the industrial revolution and how that kind of removed all the difficult jobs, and and it is it is funny and quite a melancholy thing to reflect on that it's like yeah, tech was supposed to make our lives easier and give us more time to kind of work on higher pursuits, and and now it's just making sure that painters can't get jobs and that writers are going to become obsolete. Well, let's turn to Chat GPT's politics. You know, officially it has no political views and does not engage with politics. But on a whole range of issues, it's been shown to be pro-environment and left-leaning. Or that is how you know it has been perceived. You know, the alt-right have been complaining that you know that this this particular chatbot is woke. But you know, is it woke or is it just a case of you know uh, uh, something that Stephen Colbert observed many many years ago that reality has a well-known liberal bias, Charlie? <laughs> I wouldn't. I don't know if I'll go that far. I mean, what I would say is that, it, I mean, it, the, the makers of ChatPG are very, uh, very open about the fact that it has these moderation filters that uh, steers it away from from certain um, potentially dodgy topics. So there was a, a recent piece uh, in the, uh, the Daily Telegraph, kind of whipping up a little bit of a culture war front on this one, which is saying that it's a yeah, biased and woke and that it will it would refuse, for example, to um, write a, a poem, an ode of uh, praising George Pell. It said he's faced very serious accusations and it wouldn't be appropriate to to do that. And that that was kind of taken to be um, evidence that it was, yeah, that it was left-leaning and woke. I mean, the the, the thing about those those moderations is that it's sort of well well documented in all AI um, that if you don't put filters like that in, it it you know you very soon start dealing with a racist basically when they when they scan all of all of social media and all of, like there was a studies done by uh, John Hopkins University and the Georgia Institute of Technology a year or two ago and um, they basically tested these these uh, virtual AI robots. And ask them to do things like scan blocks of people's faces and put the quote unquote criminal in a box. And it would, well, I th- you can probably guess the answer it always went with. It was always a black man's face. So if you don't put these things in, it starts to absorb. I mean, that's, and again, it, it goes back to uh, what, what chat PT does. It, it takes all of the internet and there's a lot of very nasty stuff on the internet. So it absorbs all the prejudices that are kind of baked into that process. So they've tried to, I guess, now, whether sometimes that does give you slightly uh, absurd outcomes, um, you know, is, is is neither here nor there, really. That that was to, that was sort of designed, I suppose, to to counteract very well known biases in the other direction that happens if you don't put those in. And actually, it does raise um, just I'll, I won't go on too much longer, but it does raise another kind of real concern about something like um, AI taking a lot of young journalists' jobs, young journalists in particular, is that it it again it accelerates, I think, quite a bad um, trait a long-term trait in Australian journalism in particular, which is the lack of diversity. It means that you are now getting a circle of the white male, the white male university educated middle-aged bias of mainstream Australian journalism. I don't think anyone would say that I'm overstating that. That is now being circled back into the process so that if you are producing it, uh, producing AI based on that content, you then maintain that voice. And the AI process kind of by preventing, uh, you know, younger and more diverse voices getting involved, kind of again continues that spiral. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, Charlie. Um, I, you know, I, as I think about journalism and public interest journalism and ethics of journalism, that point just keeps coming back to me, or, or comes to me in a kind of stronger and stronger sense that the way to make our journalism 
ecosystem healthier and better and, and more in the public interest is to improve the diversity, make make journalism more reflective of what Australia is, you know, in terms of um, Indigenous, in terms of class, you know, socio-economic background and so on. And, and you know, in Australia, sure, things have been getting better, but they're not right and um, it needs to be better. And there's a problem that, yeah, if we go to this AI, we, we kind of, we get stuck. We get stuck where we are. We get reflected back to us what already exists instead of kind of working forward towards a better journalism ecosystem. Um, and, and to your earlier point about um, uh, about choices and, and about wokeness, you know, and about what is kind of being um, given as content by AI, you know, like there are always decisions that need to be made in terms of once we accept the basic premise that, okay, there are some things we don't want to use to train this AI, you know, and, and I think that's a very fairly elementary and simple position. It's a, it's a good position to take, right? It's really important that we don't give it um, really hateful, um, really racist, really sexist, really problematic content for, because it's socially destructive, right? We can just um, put this to, to the side and say, no, no, we're not going to let the AI be trained by that stuff. We're not going to have it scan that. But once we've made that decision that some content is going to be off limits for it to scan, then it becomes very hard to decide, okay, what is off limits and what isn't? Like that's always just tricky. And, you know, whether whether the people who have programmed this have got it right, I don't know. I certainly, you know, I don't I, I don't know. Um, but these choices need to be made. One interesting kind of side note here is that, you know, there are a whole number of ethical issues to do with this. One is how was this AI trained, you know, and I have read about some of the um, moderators were employed in, in countries, in places, including in Africa, paid very little um, and were exposed to all sorts of content, including really traumatic content, as in to say, look, that's something that we need to keep away from, from this AI as we train it. So, you know, these are sometimes some of the hidden kind of issues going to the training of the AI, the making of it, that, um, that I think we should be thinking about too. You know, we, we shouldn't forget the people who kind of um, get exploited along the way. Yeah, and look, it strikes me, you know, uh, as always, we get sidetracked by something that isn't the real issue. So it, it's not a real issue that that this chatbot won't say racist slurs and uh, and that you know it, it it won't engage in culture wars. But um, the fact that it also locks off politics and won't have political views, um, in a sense, makes it kind of useless to to the realm of journalism. Because even if you're you know working at a media organisation that's trying to be fair and balanced about the news, the news is political. Politics is the news. Um, so it does seem that in this particular instance that they might actually be making this particular uh, chatbot useless to the to the media. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, and that's an interesting one. I, again, I suppose it does come down to what you want to use it for. And that's, again, what, what at the moment is kind of slightly clunky about the writing that sometimes is produced by a, by a chatbot like this is that it does a lot of the kind of um, uh, essay sort of caveats where it says, well, some people would argue it's this and some people would argue it's that. I mean, I, yeah, you're right. I mean, that, that again, that does really come down to a bit of a fundamental question about what journalism is for and what the role it's supposed to play for its consumers is. Um, I, I, for one, am quite comfortable with um, a publication within reason, the publication having an obvious political framework within it, which it 
operates and that how and that's how it interprets and interrogates government policy is through a, a, a more conservative or a more left-wing um, view. I, I've, I've got no problem with that as long as that is up front. And usually if you read anything for long enough, you, you'll be able to pick up on it anyway. Um, so I suppose in terms of, and, 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 and as you say, even in the process of saying, I want this to be a completely apolitical platform, you are making a political judgment by what you define as apolitical. So it's sort of, it's whether it's, it, to the extent it's not useless, it's probably kind of impossible to properly put in place. Okay. Well, look, let's end talking about uh, education and journalism. Uh, Sasha, you know, are, are journalism schools preparing their students to work with AI? Too early to tell, yep. I'd say. Um, I haven't um, had many conversations with my colleagues about that. I I spend, you know, I live physically in the law faculty, so I'm attached to, to law. And, and I, I've certainly had a lot of conversations, informal conversations with colleagues about chat GPT, just in terms of education. You know, as I said before about, you know, its, its ability to generate essays or exam answers, that sort of thing. You know, that's something we really need to think about. Um, and, and, Part of that is really worrying and part of that is really good because, you know, we need as educators to keep, you can't just sort of, you know, keep doing things the way you've been doing them because that's how you've been doing them. And there are real problems. I have real issues with, with grading students and the whole sort of grading marking kind of enterprise anyway. So, look, at, I think it's, you know, in some ways it's kind of good that, that AI comes along and, and shakes up the way we do things to some extent. Um as to what's happening in the journalism school specifically, I think that's going to take a bit of time. But, you know, it, it's such early days. I need to have more conversations with my colleagues there still to work out what, what's going to happen. But they won't be able to ignore it. A, a, lot of the, the, a lot of the chat at the moment is about cheating and it's about, you know, people using AI to cheat. Is anyone talking about, about students working with AI together? Because that's yeah, what's probably going to happen when they go into the workplace. Yes, that's a really good point. And uh, I saw a good thread on Twitter yesterday. Um, I'd give the person who wrote it credit, but I can't remember who it was just off the top of my head. And she, um, you know, she was talking, talking everyone through how she has dealt with chat GPT in the classroom. And hers was a, a writing course, I think, you know, not, not specifically journalism, but more writing. And, you know, they did exercise with, exercises with chat GPT. They talked about how it works, what its strengths are. Uh, what it might be used for productively, what it should definitely not be used for, you know, what's ethical, what's unethical. So, look, I think, you know, my approach as a teacher, as a tertiary teacher, my approach tends to be, look, let's be open about this. Let's not pretend chat GPT doesn't exist. Um, You know, there's part of me that doesn't want to tell people that story that I told at the outset about how good that exam answer (laughs) was, right? There's definitely a part of me that doesn't want anyone to know that that happened. But, you know, then the other part of me tends to win and it's like, no, look, let's let's have that conversation. Let's tell people this is what I can do. It's actually quite powerful. Um, and so we all need to think together about, okay, what does that mean for education? What does that mean for um, assessments, for cheating? Um, and then what, what will it mean for the journalism industry where we, where we, what we were talking about before? You know, how can we use this technology and whatever it sort of grows into in a way that, that, you know, that enriches us all. And that sounds like a, a kind of trite, cliche thing to say, but that, that's what we want, right? We want this technology to make, make our lives better. 
Dr. Sasha Molotoris and Charlie Lewis, thanks for being on Fourth Estate. And thanks for listening to the program. This edition was recorded at the studios of 2SCR and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Fourth Estate is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Thanks to the Foundation for their continuing support. And make sure you subscribe to Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app so you can hear us talk about media, politics and a lot in between. We'll be back for more next week, but in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle is ForfestateAU. This program was produced by myself with a little bit of help from ChatGPT. I'm Anthony Dockwell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>